welcome to Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy. Two PTs talking about life inside and outside of the fitness industry. Welcome everyone to episode 24 of Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy. And Mike, we have got a really special guest on today, haven't we? Tonight, yes, we have indeed. And this, the special guest we've had on today, I believe, was episode six, I believe. Uh, I wasn't indeed, here for that yes. one. I don't know why. I completely forgot. It was a long time ago. I can't even remember what I had for dinner last night. So, um, Mike, would you like to introduce our very, very special guest today? Our special guest is named called Dr. Rahul Lakera. Dr. Rahul, give a quick intro as to yourself and your accolades as to now and what you're currently doing. Yeah, so thanks very much for having me, guys. I'm a GP, general practitioner, and I have been for the last eight years. But I've also worked in professional sport for the last six years as a team doctor for the first team at Leeds United, but also with various rugby league clubs. Now, currently, I'm I'm kind of more with Leeds United Academy. Yeah, so I kind of mix my time in between GP and then sort of muscular skeletal medicine. So, you know, injuries like shoulder injuries, knee injuries, and then sports medicine as well. So, Rahul, I'm really sorry, but it seems like we only bring you on for the COVID podcast as well. So we don't want to <laughs> typecast you like Rachel out of Friends. We're going to bring you on again, but we're going to talk about something else, we promise. Am I the COVID guy? You are the COVID guy. The COVID guy. <laughs> you are the COVID dude. <laughs> Today's one is to do with post-COVID, and Dr. Rahul is going to be providing information on what limited research is at the moment. If you have any questions about any of this, then do see your local GP. Lovely. And Dr. Rahul, what's your sort of current experience with COVID patients at the moment you're coming in contact with? To be honest, I haven't got a huge amount of experience with it because I'm not seeing them when they're unwell. As a GP, people I'm seeing, they might be ringing up if they're self-isolating. I've spoken to very few people who are unwell enough that need admission. The ones who have needed admission, I tend to get the hospital letter afterwards. So I was never aware that they're that unwell at the time. And from a sports point of view, the academy players who get it deal with it. You know, they, they're young people, so they deal with it very well. They don't really have any complications. So I'd say so far, my experiences haven't been bad at all. Of patients with covid it's been probably more along the lines of a sort of a viral illness that has sort of lasted for seven to 14 days and people seem to do well with but then saying that actually now i've now i've said that the last month i've seen more people who are maybe presenting with more complications not a complications in the acute phase when you're unwell for the first seven to 14 days more people who are coming sort of three months down the line who are, are still are not feeling great whether it's fatigue, you know, feeling tired, feeling slightly breathless, uh, headaches, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a bit more of that at the moment. Yeah, and it's this term, what everyone's quite fearful, um, especially especially for guys that, you know, maybe guys and girls that exercise regularly as well and train, you know, average gym goes as well about this sort of the, the effects of what's termed as long COVID because me, me and Mike have had COVID. Mike was at the end of last year. I was this year as well. And, you know, as you said, if you're fit and healthy, you kind of just deal with it as a as a virus, as you would 
just feeling almost a bit run down. I know everyone's symptoms are going to be a little bit different. Um, and I've returned back to exercise. And I did experience some side effects post-COVID, post the um, 14 days isolation. But about a month from down the line, I, I pretty much feel normal, if I'm being honest. So what would you say if people are, like have symptoms of this long COVID effect? Firstly, it's very difficult to think to work out who's going to get them because there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to who it affects or who gets that long COVID sort of uh, those long COVID symptoms. Where I work in, in Leeds, so I work, I work in West Yorkshire, we have got a long COVID clinic, but I'm not completely sure how effective they are. And I, I think it's kind of more of a supportive mechanism. So I don't think they intervene an awful lot. I think it's more kind of support. There might be some psychological based therapy, that sort of thing. So I think depending on your area, I don't know what your provision will be for the treatment of, a, of, a long, of long COVID. And certainly they're long COVID clinics, but I, I'm not completely sure what they entail, if I'm yeah, honest. Because I suppose the, the initial impact is response to people who are severely ill with this virus. So maybe we might see something a few years down the line where it's not as infectious or it's completely gone out of our current situation. Um, and then there might be hopefully some more research toward this long COVID because people may be still possibly suffering with this. I was just reading on some of the information on the British Medical Journal that before, before the pandemic, I said a third of the people in the UK were not physically active enough for good health. So now there's further evidence of a decline since the start of the pandemic for people with, say, chronic conditions such as obesity and hypertension. And these conditions are generally associated with being worse as a result from having COVID-19. So it's kind of added a bit more fear for people who have underlying conditions and have got through COVID, would you say? Yeah, I think massively. I think if people weren't confused before how to exercise or whether to attend the gym or what to do, they're even more confused now because a lot of the spaces aren't open. There's a lot of fear around even exercising outside in the streets because do you pass people? What do you do? Do you wear a mask? Don't you wear a mask? So I think it's escalated to the point where, my, I don't know the exact figures, but my impression will be more and more people will be essentially doing nothing. And when we do do nothing and we are scared, I guess our diet goes out the window as well because we, we're trying to comfort ourselves, aren't we? I think there will be some, some knock-on effects. Um, I mean, on a very basic level, um, using my son as an example, like he, he, for example, can't go to play football on Saturday mornings and that's driving him up the wall. So you can just imagine that's at the very lowest level of like grassroots sort of, you know, sport at, for a six-year-old. So you can only imagine what it's like for people in their, you know, people who are at school, people who are at university, people yeah. who are in their 20s, 30s, uh, the weekend warriors, the sort of, you know, the endurance athletes in their 40s, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like pe people are finding it really hard to know what to do. And even today, walking on the street, there was a guy who was actually running at a really good pace. He clearly was a very fit guy and he had to sort of cross the road to get past me. We didn't really need to, but he had to cross the road to get past me and then cross the road back. And it's, yeah. we've had snow up here. So it's icy. And it's at the moment, there's a lot, a lot deterring people, I think, to get, to get out and be active. And in your opinion, except from, you know, the UK being a very, very populated small island, do you think a big contributing factor is because we have such an overweight population compared to a lot of other European countries? I, I can't say for sure. 
and what I'm what I'm saying here is is uh, as you said, Matt, it's my opinion, and it's probably very anecdotal. Mm. I I do think that we have a particular lifestyle here as a Western country, and also probably a Western country that's probably got more in common with America than other countries in Europe. And and I, I say that from a, a kind of diet perspective, activity perspective. I think a lot of people in England aren't sure how to cook from scratch. They aren't sure how to eat things that aren't processed. So I, I do wonder whether, I mean, clearly we're very heavily populated. That's an issue. And that's not helped the spread of COVID in London and, and various places. But I just wonder whether, uh, do we have an issue here? Have we created an issue ourselves because of the way we live our lives as well? Because at the moment we can't work out why i mean obviously obesity is a big factor to how severe people seem to get covid and how bad they do but you do get stories of people who are supposedly fit and well who are getting covid as well and i just think what makes them different like what why are they getting why are they getting the issues compared to you know some other countries so yeah i, I do wonder personally my, my view yeah. is i do think is there a lifestyle factor here that we are missing out on and will further research down the line show that it's an issue and do you think as well, like post-COVID, there may be more investment into things such as preventative measures to maybe bring down an overweight or obese population? Do you think there should be some further down the line, some funding into education with nutrition, maybe at an adolescent age, support for parents to help their children understand and have schemes when it comes to exercise and fitness and playing sports? I mean, what's your opinion? Yeah, I think there should be. I think that's something that public health England have got wrong for a long time. I mean, actually, one of our good friends works for public health England, so you should probably get him on the podcast to try and argue. His, we could get them both on. Yeah, get both on. But I, I think I think there, there there are issues. There's issues with funding, and there's issues with what is perceived as the agenda and the current problem. And in general, Western medicine is very reactive that's just the way it is like we only react when there's a problem we know we don't there's no preventative checkups there's no medicals there's no you know oh you're ill we better we better see you now and that's kind of the way it is and i think this sounds very cynical but i can't see anything changing i mean green spaces have been declining over the last 10 20 years through various governments whether it be labor or conservative you know money that funds the nhs has been declining i know we're going to have a sugar tax now but is it too late there's still a lot of um, fast food corporations that seem to find their way onto medical journals and medical journal sort of boards. So I, I think that it is a really broken system. And I, it sounds really cynical, but I, I'm not convinced that it's going to be tackled. After recovering from COVID, I had fairly moderate symptoms, but however, I was keen as mustard to kind of get back at exercise. We mentioned there's very limited stuff out there right now on recovery and recommendations. And I think one of the journals was pointing towards we should be at least waiting, say, seven days. That's post becoming asymptomatic before attempting any form of exercise. I mean, is that something that's been handed, like, passed down to yourself, or is that just like you say, based on what is there on limited research at the moment? I think there's a lot of limited research at the moment. I think the big disclaimer here is the fact that all the majority of the research we have is on people who are older, middle age and above who have been really unwell. So 
I'm not sure the demographic that listens to this podcast, but if they're anything like you two, I imagine they're very sort of fit and healthy individuals who have got a high level of, uh, you know, athletic potential. You, you oh, class as athletes, oh, really. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'll put out the, uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> I'll, stop I'll give you all, stop the, stop all the plaudits now. They didn't pay me to say this, honestly. Uh, <laughs> But uh, so I think that's the big disclaimer here. A lot of the research has been done on people who aren't probably the most active or the most well. And we're trying to get all the data and come up with guidelines based on them. But we're trying to fit them for people who aren't them, if that makes sense. But that's all we have. So in some ways, it's, it's kind of crazy, but it's all we've got. Yeah, and um, actually, that's a very good um, point there as well, because me and the missus, I don't know about you, Mike, if you got offered to donate plasma to the NHS. I did see that, yes. But you have to have, uh, we didn't qualify because our uh, BMI wasn't high enough. Oh, really? Yeah. So they turned turned away. My blood, blood plasma is not good enough for you then. Okay. The thing is, I guess it is such a, it's such a new virus and like, you know, the rollout of the vaccine has been very quick. It's probably one of the most heavily researched vaccines in mankind as well. So I mean, I think, like I say, the research just isn't there at the moment to have definitive answers for everything. So I do apologise if we're trying to push you for definitive answers. Don't no, no, don't worry. No, I'm, I'm glad to help. I think, like you guys say, it's so new. It's really hard mm. to have any definitive answer on it. But I, I guess in terms of return to play, we are looking at probably you need to be asymptomatic for seven days at least before you start phase one of your sort of return to play. So there's a really good, if you Google EIS, so English Institute of Sports phase return to play COVID, you get a table that goes through it really nicely. And basically they're four to five phase, oh, they're five phases, I'm trying to remember now, because it's quite confusing. They're five phases of return and they're seven days at each phase. And you slowly increase your your timing of exercise, but also your rate of perceived exertion and your heart rate during each phase. So for example, phase one would be where you're ill. So that would be seven days of kind of doing nothing. And then like the, after, after that, you need to have seven days where you're at least asymptomatic. So in reality, you're probably not gonna do much for the first 14 days. If you're asymptomatic for seven days, you might maybe start a bit of stretching, some light walking, that sort of stuff for, for seven days. Then after that, you go into the next phase, which is sort of more intense walking, maybe. You might do some light yoga, that sort of stuff. So we're kind of already, we're what, 21 down the line? So then 20, after 21 days, you're then looking at in increasing your aerobic capacity. So you're looking at at least two sort of five-minute aerobic sessions with a block of rest in between, seeing how you respond to them. Maybe two training days in a row. So before you won't be doing two training days in a row uh, and then having one rest day afterwards. And then that's a seven day phase. And then after that, you're looking at increasing even further, maybe getting your heart rate over 80, over 80 for your, sorry, your maximal heart rate. And then um, having a rate of perceived exertion of about 12 to 14, 14, yeah, 12 to 14. And then at least exercising for half an hour. And then after so after that, we're looking at probably 28 days on the line then after 28 days on the line you're probably looking at going full throttle again if you've passed all that if you've got through the other phases unscathed that is it's quite interesting that 
I can relate to some of those measures in the fact that you know, you know I got back into training after COVID, trying to do things even using a reduced baseline, I still felt the effects of my recovery really. So it's interesting how you speak about the different phases actually. So I think that's a great resource for, for people to check out. Even as a fitness professional, you're still kind of gauging it based on, like you say, your rate of perceived exertion, isn't it? If you've not got access to like, say ECGs or a, a heart rate monitor, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I, I think the at the moment, the way it seems to be rolling out is there's a return to play for athletes in the highest setting who have access to all the tests. And there's a return to play for the common person who hasn't got any of that, basically. Now, I, I would put you guys in the athlete status, even though you haven't got access to those tests. Yeah, that's right. Fist pumps all around. Yeah. <laughs> so if we're talking about an athlete, we would say return to play day 14 roughly day 14. So th in that way, you may have not actually gone back as early as you thought. You might have not gone back too early, like you may think now. Mm. I guess the big thing will be hearing from both of you about how you felt when you went back. Did yeah. you feel like you were quite exhausted or fatigued or you feel breathless? Yeah, I, I really suffered with the breathness, I'm being honest. I, I've had, I've, I actually trained during uh, when I had COVID just at home. I've done. I know it's terrible, isn't it? But it was just, that bit it, out. It, it, it was just arms. It wasn't really training. Just done a lot, a lot of arms because twenty ones one day, Mike. You know the twenty ones we do seven there. You know or dumbbells or uh, Z bar. Oh, I haven't got access to a Z bar dumbbells. Um, and then actually, we actually got back to training after, and yeah, it's the breathlessness that really got me. Just running up a flight of stairs, or even walking a flight of stairs, you feel. And I've never really had that feeling ever before. So it was very, very, very strange. And I've got me, we actually started off doing some very low intensity, steady state cardio, some walking. Um, and as you said, what you've just mapped out, Dr. Hall, is actually like probably by sort of t two weeks after the 14 day isolation, it was actually kind of back to normal. How about you, Mike? I was surprised at how long it took me to get back a respectable level of like aerobic fitness for myself you know I don't know if that's a mixture of my inactivity prior to that because I was just doing Netflix just doing Netflix and bicep curls now I was doing sort of weight training but I must admit over sort of November and December my aerobic cardiovascular work did suffer a little bit but I'm an asthmatic as well so Dr. Rahul, if someone a few months down the line is, has still has these almost these symptoms of breathlessness, what do you sort of recommend they could do? I think I well, I'd go to your GP because it may be that it may be that really you need a chest X-ray because a lot of people will not have been hospitalised or had to go to the um, to their GP when they've actually got the illness and they're self-isolating. So it may be that you need to have a chest x-ray down the line. It may be that you need to have a heart trace. I think the, the way to think of it really, when you have it, do you need to be hospitalized? Yes or no. If you don't, then you self-isolate, you do all the stuff at home and then you see how you get on. But then after that, are you either during that self-isolation phase or, or you know, within a few weeks after that, are you having any red flag symptoms? And the red flag symptoms here would be chest pain, 
Breathlessness is a red flag symptom. What is difficult here is, Matt, as you described, you were breathless and you wouldn't necessarily have been a red flag patient. So I think breathlessness is really a really difficult symptom to sort of describe here. But I think you've got to err on the side of caution. And if you feel, if you feel like you are breathless, then you need to go and see a GP because are further tests needed, whether that be bloods or chest X-ray mm. uh, or and a heart trace and ECG. Are you getting palpitations? So again, that's another red flag sign. Do you have dizziness when you exercise or do anything exertional? So let's say you're having to walk up a flight of stairs or walk briskly to try and get to the shops or whatever. And then are you having what we call syncope? Are you fainting? So if, if you're having any of those, they're red flag signs, you need to really go and be seen. And that's whether it's happening. Well, if it's happening when you're self-isolating, it's difficult because you're going to have to probably go and get admitted. If it's after your self-isolation, say, you know, within the first four weeks after self-isolation, then you need to see your GP because you need to have some of the tests doing. Long COVID typically is something that happens a few months after. So if you're having sort of breathlessness a few months after, I, I, I wouldn't worry as much because it's less likely to be something that's acutely worrying and life-threatening. It doesn't make it any less distressing. And obviously it's, it's a worry because long COVID can be a real nuisance, but I would still go and see your GP then and see if you need a chest x-ray and see what the sort of practical options are for you there. Are you needing referral to a long COVID clinic or, you know, or, or, or something like that? Some people actually get, get a lot of trauma with COVID and that's whether you're hospitalized or not hospitalized. Is it, is it related to a psychological sort of issue around the trauma of being ill? So there, there are certain things to explore. So yeah, definitely I, I, I would see a GP. I think, I think the whole aspect of, of COVID is very traumatic for a lot of people. A lot of people are in, like, you know, see a guy across the street the other day because obviously they're so, almost so scared to walk next to you on the street. So we almost live this life of just high alert all the time. And I think for, for a lot of people who maybe haven't got the resilience in place do find it very, very hard day to day. I mean, I'm sure like everyone else at, the, at this point has... has suffered even slightly you know from a mental health perspective down the line as well which i think is is going to be a massive thing in a few months if it carries on the way it is i mean what's your opinion of um, people's mental health at the moment their well-being i think it's a massive issue already i don't think it's a case of again sorry i don't want to bring doom and gloom to the podcast but i don't think it's a case of oh this is going to explode in a few months i think it already has i think mm. from personally being as a gp the patients i'm seeing i'm seeing a lot of people who are struggling to cope a lot of people who have probably used escapism to run away from certain issues in their lives and all of a sudden that escapism is gone you can't go out and get pissed in it. Sorry, can I swear on the podcast? You can't go out and get oh, drunk anymore. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't get, you know, go out and get drunk anymore. You can't, a lot of people will escape with exercise. Some people escape through food, you know. So I think that's a big issue as well. So I'm seeing a lot of mental health related to previous old, old traumatic scars, whether that's childhood or toxic relationships with exes. And I'm seeing lots of that. And then I'm also seeing lots of, I used to work in an office. I don't work in the office anymore. I'm really lonely, you know, so I'm, I'm seeing the whole spectrum. Yeah. So I think it's already a big issue. Matt running a busy fitness center and myself working in a commercial gym. We're not used to this situation where we're sat on a, on a laptop and relating to people who do this day in, day out. And yeah, it's amazing how some days you feel really positive and really good. And 
I'm no stranger to it. Some days you kind of wake up and you have this underlying sort of uh, that exhaustive feel. Yeah. yeah, I think everyone's going through something. Do reach out for support if you can. It's important that you know, people don't almost go through it alone. I think that's really important. I think the lack of connection, lack of connection is a big issue in today's world anyway, let alone adding COVID on top. And I think now people were so disconnected anyway. I mean, we feel like we're uber connected because we've got the internet and we've got social media, but in reality, we're less connected than ever. And um, I think that was always going to be an issue. We see that pre-COVID, we're seeing that, you know, with suicide rates. So the, you, I'm sure you guys are aware, the, the biggest killer of males under under 40 is suicide. Mm. Um, so we, we, we see that with, with men. And then clearly COVID's gone and just made that even harder. And when you add in something which is something we take for granted, touch, you can't shake anyone's hand, you can't hug anyone, you can't, you know, mm. all of a sudden, these sort of mechanisms we had to try and get some sort of joy in the day, they're gone. You can't connect with people, you can't be tactile with them. It's just, it is escalating. So I think you're completely right. I think people have got to remember that connection's key and to really reach out to people, whether it, you know it's on Zoom or phone or whatever, and just try and be keeping in contact with people. Mm-hmm. I think more so than ever, we didn't realize actually before how much humans actually need other humans. Mm. You said it was all like day-to-day contact like I think of my old day, I used to have like a 50 different conversations with 50 different people throughout the day, even though they were very small. And I probably took it for granted now, sort of working behind a laptop for eight hours a day. So it definitely has changed. On the laptop point of view, I'm seeing, and when I do my, my muscular sort of sessions, I'm seeing lots of like, you know, the generic stuff, back pain, neck pain. It's all, it's all work, home working induced hip pain that sort of thing and so that's not helping either going back to post-covid covid's made its way through a lot of the professional football clubs soon the anxiety and the pressure of the players of themselves think right i've got to get back to the field and even though these guys are elite athletes and, and fit the fiddle i guess there's always that balance trying to not come back too early but also underlying pressure for them to be able to kind of get back in on that pitch to contribute to the side well I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here. I think players are probably more comfortable now because they've had like a year of regular testing. I mean, initially when they were trying to get Project Restart going in football and trying to get players back, they were testing twice a week. Now they only test once a week. So players are very used to having swabs done you know, every week and going with the results and biosecure bubbles and all that sort of, you know, and having passports on your phone about have you passed, have you not, you know, the, your tests that are... So I think players are more used to it now, but yeah, there probably is a level of anxiety that, I mean, I think initially there was a high level of anxiety. I think people felt very uncomfortable uh, and there was a lot of pressure to come back and play. I think people are probably a bit more happy with it now, but yeah, I, I think it is difficult. It's difficult to wrap your head around. So I think there probably is a level of anxiety with it and probably pressure. And like you say, other things get in the way. And yeah but i think having sport on tv has brought so much pleasure to so many much people right now hasn't it like say seeing a bit of like rugby on tv or football yeah and they are human beings at the end of the day they are fallible as anyone is i guess to sometimes misinterpreting the rules or break i mean I don't, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting you go and get your hair cut and put it on instagram well, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah so sometimes we forget these people are human as well and and they, they do make mistakes 
Well, thank you very much, actually, Dr. Hall, for today. It's been very insightful and it's been lovely to finally meet you as I missed you on the last podcast. So, you do understand that you, you met Dr. Hall on my stag do, don't you? I, I did, but I probably, I, wasn't, I probably wasn't in the best shape back then, if I'm being honest. I was going through a very hard time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just can't remember. <laughs> I, 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 I roughly remember, but again, not much. It was. Uh... Yeah, we'll leave it at that one. I just thought talk. Dr. Howell, you are the guest today, so we want you to summarize whatever you want. This is where Whatever I want. On the spot, you can summarize. We could do a hashtag, you could do a quote, you could sing, you could rap, you can do whatever Ooh, you want. I don't think I could rap, but Mike, um, drop a beat. Drop a beat. Mike, start start a beatbox. The human it'd, beatbox. It'd be like it'd be like the John Barnes <laughs> rap, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one can beat world emotion, but right. So if I'm going to summarize, I guess the big thing to summarize is I, I don't want to scare people with what complications can happen with COVID. We haven't really talked about it and used names, but I guess you, you do worry about heart inflammation and things like that and sort of, uh, in, in, you know, increased risk of blood clots. But the one thing I want to say is this is very rare. These issues are very, very rare, but you need to have some vigilance about you regarding your symptoms. So don't worry so much about the tests because the truth is a lot of the tests that are available, uh, sorry, a lot of the tests that are gold standard are actually unavailable either because of waiting lists or because of the, because they're aerosol generating procedures and they can't actually be done. So don't get too hung up about going down to the doctors and saying, I need this blood test or I need this doing. But if you have chest pain, breathlessness that seems out of proportion to what it should be, palpitations, dizziness when you're active or you're fainting, you really need to go see someone. That's what I want you to remember because that's, that's the big stuff. Those, those are the symptoms I want you to not forget about. And then the other thing to remember is when you're doing that phase return, take it slow. So unless you're very, very fit and you're almost in, you're in athlete status, really you're probably looking at more 28 days at least for you getting back to what you think you could do before, maybe even a bit longer, and having seven days at each phase, I wouldn't rush it. Guys, you heard it from the doctor, and he's a real doctor. He's not Dr. Dre, he's a real doctor. Real doctor. I've real got doctor. the car cardboard cutout, the sort of serial <laughs> packet with my uh, qualification on. No, honestly, thank you very much. And Mike, do you want to add anything at the end as you normally do? No? Stay, stay, stay well. Thank you, everyone.